Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Dennis Stewart, and teaching the lessons today on the inward and the outward man. And if you've printed the uh, lesson, you probably saw a couple of masks there below the title, Inward and Outward Man, and that represents the inward man and the outward man. And I hope to do enough expanding on this to give you an appreciation for what you, many of you already know. Um, <clears throat> have you ever thought that you were good in sports only to find out that <clears throat> that was waning as time goes by or that uh, someone else was much better? I know Fran was a very good basketball player in her youth and she hasn't, she hasn't tried a dunk shot in years. <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> Pastor played baseball. He enjoyed baseball a lot. I thought I was good at football and loved to play. Just loved it. And uh, there came a day when I stopped growing and no one else did, <laughs> it seemed. And my passes were being blocked and I was getting caught from behind and the bigger guys and faster guys were hitting me harder and harder and it wasn't as much fun as it had been <laughs> prior to that. Uh, in the Navy, I started, I played tennis before, but I started playing really regularly on an island that I was on. And in my own mind, I got really good. And then um, after that year or so that I was on the island, I got married to an excellent cook, got out of shape, and was beaten by a friend of mine that had never beat me before. And I thought, now there's a perishable skill. <laughs> Racquetball was next for me, and I played over 30 years and thought I was really good. And circumstances caused me to stop playing a little over 15 years. And I took the game up again last year, 2023, and at the age of 74. And what I noticed was uh, that was a perishable skill too, <laughs> especially the running part. So these are perishable things that we do in the outward man, aren't they? And they, uh, they don't last. Included, uh, well, ribbons, trophies, accolades from friends, all of the things that I enjoyed at the time were uh, a, a passing memory because alas, they were no more. Um, additional prizes for all of us really, once held as important at some time during our lives, um, <coughs> may also include things that are one day unimportant, such as career promotions, positions that you obtain in a company that you're in, financial earnings or status, even social status is all, are all things that are perishable. There comes a day when they don't matter. And yet they're so important. They're so important at the time 
that we let them define who we are. And then, yet, they're of no value at some point in our lives. Included in that list are even what I call individually developed opinions of whom the Trinity is and what we should believe about eternal things. I say independently because what people begin to believe very often is not what God defines as who he is. If you've independently garnered some opinions about what you will believe that are not God's opinions of who he is, that becomes of no value. Doesn't matter how important it is to you. It is of no valuable, it's perishable. Bible calls it corruptible. So this list can go on and on and on, but you see what I'm talking about here. The Bible describes all of these things and their associated awards as outward man stuff. Just outward man stuff. That's corruptible. It's not even important in the end, in the final analysis. All this outward man stuff eventually becomes of no value. Of no value. Sound depressing? It's because I meant it to be. <laughs> That's what I was trying to get across. The inward man, however. The inward man is the spirit that is given to each of us by God. Every one of us have an inward man. And that's why I, you see the smiling face and the frowning face up there. The inward man, of course, is the smiling face. The outward man has a completely different opinion. And that's our fundamental asset set when we're born. We're born with that. A conflict between the inward man of the spirit and the outward man who wants to behave as it wants to behave. And the inward man who wants to seek God first and find his spirit and become one with his spirit and to partner with his spirit and to have a relationship 24-7 with his spirit. Um, become one with him. And that spirit is incorruptible. The outward man, who has all of these other ideas to behave the way it wants to behave, is corruptible. And the thing about that inward spirit that searches for God, if it does not find God because of lack of knowledge or because it's unwilling to give up what the outward man wants to do in order to find God, either reason. The inward man keeps searching. And when it can't find God, it starts searching in all the wrong places. It's a yearning for something it can't find. And that's why you see people at the psychiatrist's office saying, I, I, I don't know what I want, but I know I'm lacking something. I know I, it's that inward man searching for God, but either can't find him or is not willing to give up 
what it needs to give up in order to have that spirit relationship. See what I mean? So there's the conflict, the inward man and the outward man. <clears throat> I know that many of you know about the inward man and the outward man, but what I'm trying to do is to um, increase a level of appreciation in this class today for these two dynamics within us all. I remember when I was in second grade, it shows you I got a long memory. We went up to our, my great aunt Effie's house who lived in Chama, New Mexico, a mile and a half above sea level. That's pretty high, Rocky Mountain, cold. We were there for Thanksgiving one year. Man, it was cold. She had a two-story house that was uh, bedrooms upstairs, and it was, the whole house was heated by a wood-burning stove in the kitchen. And that was it. And oh man, it was cold. I remember I had so many quilted covers on top of me, it was uncomfortable. But far more uncomfortable not to have them on top of me. <laughs> so it's just that cold. And in the morning, <clears throat> when I got up, my mother hurried me downstairs to the kitchen, and she'd pulled a kitchen chair up next to the wood-burning stove and had me stand on it. That's how little I was, so I could warm myself by the stove. And I thought, well, I know what I'll do. I'm going to pull my pajama top out in front of me like that and lean over and get that air into my, between my skin and my pajama top. And, and that felt good. And I got a little careless. Got my stomach up against the side of that wood-burning stove. That's when I got an appreciation for what hot was. I remember my father said, what did you think fire was going to do? <laughs> well, I knew what fire was going to do, but I suddenly got an appreciation for what fire was going to do. That's what we're looking for today, an appreciation for the spirit of the inward man and the conflict with the way the outward man wants to behave, an appreciation. That's why you see the masks up there. So the inward man is not corruptible in soul and spirit. It, uh, Peter refers to this inward man in a unique way. He calls it the hidden man of the heart uh, in 1 Peter 3, verse 4. But let it be the hidden man, this cryptos, the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, of thartos, not mortal, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price, the hidden man. So we see that the Bible referred to inward man, other places inner man, in other places, it just describes what is obviously an inner man and an outer man. We'll look at all these things in Scripture today. But cryptos means secret, hid, hidden inwardly, concealed or private. We're going to spend some time on this next passage, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Look at all of them individually. But let's look at all the verses together first. Know ye not that they which run a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. There's only one winner, only one winner in a race. 
So run that ye may obtain, and every man that striveth for mastery, that's first place, the best, mastery, is temperate. The word there meaning exercising self-restraint. The one that wants to win exercises self-restraint in all that he does in order to prepare for that race. The way he eats, the way he sleeps, the way he practices, the way he pushes himself, pushes himself for the big race. That's what Paul is talking about. <clears throat> now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Can you see a description of the inner man and the outer man there? Of course. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight, pukteo, fight. I mean, he's talking about fighting with fists as a boxer would fight in the arenas, the games that they had at that time. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. That's, you've heard of shadow boxing, okay? Not just practicing, not just beating the air, but the real fight. And he's speaking figuratively, of course. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that at any, uh, by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What a description Paul is using. The fighting and the running as a way to express what he's trying to get across to us by the direction of the Holy Spirit, of course. So to me, Paul's implication here is that our lives are, are like a contest for a prize. Did you know that? Have you ever looked at it that way? Our life is a context, contest for a prize. The question therefore becomes, well, which prize are you competing for? Are you competing for the corruptible crown or for the incorruptible crown? Where is your time spent? What are you preparing for? What do you practice? What is your knowledge accumulation in life? Are you wanting mastery in the corruptible or mastery in the incorruptible? And there we see the inner man and the outer man and the two masks is what I'm trying to get across. So Paul, by direction of the Holy Spirit, has selected these examples in the natural to give us a clear picture of what we are up against in our journey to eternal life through Christ. So let us talk about this journey of ours this morning, okay? Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24. We just read it. So run that ye may obtain. Okay, run so that you will win. Don't, don't just run. Run that so you will win. There's no participation trophy for Christianity. I, that's a good question. God's purpose for your life on earth and, and, and here on earth and is to receive your incorruptible crown. It's as the most competitive men and women are to win a physical race. Try that hard to win your incorruptible crown as those who try to win mastery in the race, to be the only winner, to be the only winner, whether it's a fight or whether it's a race. You're competing. Your whole life is competing, is what Paul says. 
And you need to try that hard, try as hard for the incorruptible as they are trying for the corruptible. Does that make sense? What a statement. What a challenge that he's giving us. Be as earnest to fulfill God's purpose for your life here on earth and receive your incorruptible crown as the most competitive men and women are to win a physical race, to receive their incorruptible, excuse me, their corruptible crown. Is the Christian race therefore more like a, a marathon or like a sprint? What do you think? A marathon, thank you. A marathon. It is a marathon. It's an everyday thing. It's, it's the way that you use temperance, self-restraint. You're eating, you're sleeping, your accumulation, accumulation of knowledge, your, your efforts in every way because you're competing to be the only winner to have mastery. What does it mean to have the mastery? I believe it's to have the inner man dominate the outward man. Yet, outward man has far different ideas of how it should behave than the inner man, doesn't it? So run that you may obtain. Drilling down a little bit, let's look at Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, Whoa. In other words, cheerful, constancy, endurance, continuance. So all of that is, uh, is concluded in this word for patience. Let us run with patience the race that is before us. That sounds to me like a long marathon. How about you? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, that which is the disgrace and the dishonesty of his sentence to death. Have you ever thought of it that way? Not only did he detest the pain of the cross, as anyone would, he was totally human, but he despised the fact that he was coming here to overcome sin, and yet he was charged as being not just sinful, but the greatest sinner in Jerusalem. The robber and crook and so on was released so that he would be cru crucified. So the very thing that he hated for eternity was placed upon him. And that's what he was called. And he was on the cross thinking, people think that I'm the worst guy that ever lived. He detested that disgrace, detested that shame, yet he went ahead and performed anyway because he knew what the crown was at the end of the race, this incorruptible crown and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's the crown. For consider him that endured with con uh, contradiction of sinners against himself, lest he be wearied and faint 
in your minds. All of that disgrace he put up with. Next verse, 1 Corinthians 9.25, And every man that striveth for the mastery, that's the first place, is temperate. Incrateo. I have an issue with these Greeks that lived so long ago. They're good people. But they have absolutely destroyed the Texas pronunciation of some of these words. And it frustrates me. But we'll get through it somehow. We'll rebound. But I wish they would have known the Texas pronunciation. So you striveth for mastery. You're temperate. That means exercising self-restraint in all things. Temperate in all things refers to the months and the years of intense training and preparation for the running of the race, the wrestling that took place in the arena, the fighting, the competing with an opponent, and all of those games Paul's referring to. Why months and years is the question. Well, the answer, Peter describes what we are to be developing during these years of preparation. Learning temperance and self-restraint. These will take some time to develop. Not just developed overnight. Second Peter 1, 4 through 10. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of a divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, that's earnestness with haste, Add to your virtue, excuse me, add to your faith virtue, which is manliness, valor, excellence, and praise, Peter is saying. And to virtue, knowledge, which is science, knowledge, by implication, learning or education. Does that happen overnight? This is a marathon, isn't it? And to knowledge temperance, which is self-control, and to temperance patience, continuous and patiently waiting, and to patience godliness, which is piety and holiness, and to godliness brother kindness, brotherly kindness, fatherly affection, brotherly love, and to brotherly kindness charity, which is love and benevolence. So there we have it. Adding to faith virtue then knowledge, then temperance, then patience, and then godliness, and brotherly kindness, and charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren or, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot be, uh, see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather brethren... Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. So personally, I cannot think of anything on Peter's list that will not take a lifetime of development. It's taken me a lifetime so far, and I ain't got it all under my belt yet. And I do have a lot of things under my belt, but not that. (laughs) 
development, the Holy Spirit led inward man to dominate over the outward man, the way that the outward man desires to behave. That's what it's all about, isn't it? The inward man needs to dominate over the way the outward man wants to behave. The second part of verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 25. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Again, the outward man, the innerward man is being described here. At that time, crowns were made uh, of wild olive branches for the Olympic Games. They put them on their heads. Uh, laurels for the Pythian Games, parsley for the Nemean Games, and pine for the Ishmean Games. All of these crowns were so corruptible that they began to wither and die the moment they were cut and being fashioned. And they were along their way and dying by the time that they were awarded to the winner. That's why Paul calls them the corruptible crowns. Which crown do you want? Paul's contrast is clear. The incorruptible crown is given to Christians who have stayed the course and who have run the good race. I therefore run, not as uncertainly, so fight, pukteo, to box with fists, figuratively, as a boxer at the games. I, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 9, 26. I'm not biting the air here. I'm not fighting, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm in the arena. I'm fighting the good fight every day, all day. And it's with fists, figuratively. It is the hardest thing I've ever done, is what Paul's saying. Fight with absolute confidence in your victory through Christ Jesus. Now, you know, at this time, fighting was done, boxing, that is, by leather bands on the hands, and they were studded with pieces of metal. <laughs> so when one was hit in the face or anywhere else, that would ripping flesh. That's what Paul's describing, very graphically. And I'm fighting for good, and I'm getting hit. And I'm fighting to deliver a knockout blow to the outer man, but I'm getting hit. So Paul describes his life as, as one running the race to win at all costs, to be fighting his best, to his best ability to deliver the knockout blow to the outward man and the temptations of the enemy of his soul. So Paul admonishes uh, Timothy Therefore, uh, the rest of us, to fight this fight as he had in his own life. This is what I have done. Fight this fight as I have done in my own life. Not that you're putting your eyes on me. Your eyes are on Christ. But fight this fight. 1 Timothy 6.12. Now remember... Paul has already called Timothy a man of God. He knows that he's a man of God earlier in 1 Timothy. Um, but he knows he's going to face challenges. And he knows that 
Timothy is human. And he knows that Timothy has an inward man and an outward man, just like he does, just like Paul does. He knows all of these things, and he loves him like a son in the Lord. And so he says, fight, agonizomai, which is struggle, compete, contend, endeavor to accomplish, labor fervently, to strive. Fight the good fight of faith. Now that second word, fight, is agon, which is conflict, contention, race, and all of that. But the difference is it's in the arena, okay? So fight, fight in the arena. You say, the arena of our life, fight. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Now what he's trying to do, I believe, and by the Spirit, is to give Timothy an appreciation for what this fight is all about. And therefore, I hope that we're getting an appreciation for what this is about. Paul knows Timothy's going to have many challenges while pastoring in Ephesus because Paul recalls having his own battles there and the surrounding area. He even talks about beasts, fighting beasts. Some of the historians, theologians, they believe that he was in the arena with wild beasts. Others say, well, he was with men who were so bad that they were called beasts. Either way, it's a tough fight. I don't know, I wasn't there. Either way, it's a tough fight. Paul knows what he went through, and he knows what Timothy's going to be going through, and that he's human. He's got an inward man and an outward man. And so he tells Timothy that even if our entire lives are committed to doing God's will, even so is what he's telling Timothy. We must also be diligent in training ourselves to godliness. The spiritual graveyards are full of people who dedicated themselves to God and to a ministry but didn't keep themselves righteous and lost their their relationship with Christ as a result. So they're saying you gotta fight. You gotta fight good, but what you're fighting for is eternal life. Then you minister. People get that mixed up sometimes, letting the outward man look at the ministry rather than what's going on with their own inner man. Find themselves with competing with somebody else who's trying to do a similar thing. Ah, that's not in my notes. That was free of charge. No additional charge for that statement. So we can't forget that our real fight is for our own righteousness, our own godliness, isn't it? The last epistle, think about this, that Paul ever wrote was to Timothy, his son in the Lord. It's the last one he ever wrote. He wrote 1 Timothy, Titus, and then 2 Timothy. Here's the same admonishment and motivation for his and our eternal reward. He's telling Timothy 
it will all be worth it someday. It will. So he tells him things he's told him before, but then there's something additional, new, in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. For I am now ready to be offered. That means to be sacrificed for the cause. I'm going to be a sacrificial person for the cause in blood and in body. This is going to happen to me. I know that I believe that God has told him this already. He's, he's been spared many, many times, but now he knows it's time to die. I'm now ready to be offered, to be sacrificed. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the agonizomai again, struggle, compete, contend, endeavor to accomplish, labor, all of that, to fight the good fight in the arena. I've finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And then, here's the new part. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. That's the crown. That's the incorruptible. That's the promise. That's what I'm fighting to obtain. The last epistle was written after the burning of Rome by Nero. I think we all know that. Paul also became a prisoner during this time. We don't know just how, but he was a prisoner after the time of the burning. And he probably wrote these words while chained to a Roman soldier. It's easy to overlook that when we're just reading 2 Timothy, isn't it? And this Roman soldier would, would lose his own life if Paul were to escape. So he's chained to this soldier. Paul is awaiting his death in peace and he's sensing that his departure is at hand. He said that. He wrote it to Timothy. His inward man was in victory. Even while the prospect loomed of the termination of his outward man. He didn't know how he was going to die. He just knew that he was, it's his time. Christians were being burned at the stake in the evening at Nero's parties. Christians were being sawn asunder. They were being eaten by wild beasts, all crucified. They, he didn't know how he was going to die. But he knew that his departure was at hand and that he, inner man was at peace no matter what was going to happen to the outer man. Wow. I'd like that to be my story. How about you? And I get an appreciation for what's going on with the inner man and the outward man. I keep hippopayazo to hit under the eye, to buffet, to really disable an antagonist or pugilist to sub subdue. I hit, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. He's describing a tough fight here, isn't he? But I keep my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself would be a castaway. 
Paul was fighting a real fight. He's not just beating the air, lest he should become falling away, falling away, having once obtained eternal life. Sometimes we're fighting the enemy so that the inner man dominates the outer man. And I think we would have to admit that sometimes we're just beating the air. We're not putting up a good fight. I don't see any hands. <clears throat> but we have to look at this realistically, don't we? He graphically describes this as figuratively beating his body black and blue to bring himself into complete submission to Christ and to be governed by the inner man who would not sin against God. There's the, there's the inner man. Romans 8, 11 through 14. But the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead, if that spirit dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal, mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. This is where the strength for the fight comes from. Right there. The spirit of Christ that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. That's the elder man being described there. For if we live after, live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if we through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, that's the inward man, they are the sons of God. See the difference? Boy, he's just making it so clear, isn't he? You live by the inner man, then you're the sons of God. More about the inner man. Maybe it's even talked about in Proverbs 20, 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. They knew about the inward man way back then, didn't they? David wrote but in Psalm 1-2, But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And Paul said later about the law of Moses, which is being described here, is that's, that's the one that condemns you to death. So why is he going to delight in that? Again, the conflict between the inner man and the outward man. I delight in the law that's going to send me to hell. No. I delight in the law of Moses because that is the, that is the man that I want to be. I want to be that man. That is where my delight is. I lose that struggle to the outward man now and then but I delight in the law of Moses because that's the man I want to be. That's what Paul's talking about. So is David. Romans 7, 22, For I delight in the law of God. That's referring to the law of Moses. After the inward man. There it is. And this refers to the spirit of man, that inward man that knows the spirit of God and is immortal. It's not corruptible. 
That's, verse, that's chapter 722 of Romans. The very next verse. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. What's he talking about? The outward man, isn't he? O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Body of death. You know what Paul is describing there in that body of death? It was the custom, I'll call it, at the time. If a man was accused of murder, they weren't sure if he was guilty or not guilty. The procedure was to strap the dead body to the back, the skin of the one accused. And for a time, he would carry that dead body 24-7 until it was so diseased that it powdered. You know what happens to a dead body with the disease and the worms and the bacteria, everything. And if that dead body killed the man accused, he must have been guilty. If he lived, he was innocent. That's the body of death. Paul says, who shall, (laughs) O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He wants to be rid of this outward man that wants to behave his own way instead of the way the inward man wants to seek Christ. That's his struggle he's talking about. That's why there's two masks there. That's the struggle. So many, how many of you think that there were some innocent guys that died <laughs> in the natural? But I wanted to explain that because that's, Figuratively, that's what he's describing. Inward man, within, in, into, inward, inward, all of that. Paul begins to write about his struggle with the outward man of the flesh in the next few verses in Romans. We just read them. And his battle to keep it surrendered to to the inward man of the spirit, which desires not to sin against God, but to live as one with the Spirit of God, thus the Holy Spirit. And again, he says something about this in the Second Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Writing to them, he says, For which cause we faint not, but through but but excuse me, but though our outward man perishes, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Can you see the description of the inner man and the outward man there he's talking about? Ephesians three sixteen through 21, that, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with, his, with, uh, with might 
by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the uh, fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we have asked or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. The inner man, the outward man, may inner man dwell in your hearts. So, as we're concluding here. Have you ever heard of uh, hidden wisdom of God? You ever heard that description? The hidden wisdom of God? What is the hidden wisdom of God? Who can understand it? It's hidden. If one could ever could understand his hidden wisdom, would they be understanding his hidden wisdom with the outward man, with the inward man, or with both? What do you think? Let's look. When Paul was writing about these, uh, those who could impart God's wisdom. Okay, he said, 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 11, How be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, that come to naught. Is he talking about the outward man here? Sure. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Here it is. Even the hidden wisdom. That's what we're speaking. The hidden wisdom. And this hidden wisdom... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Mike. Moving along. (laughs) That was a mic-dropping moment. (laughs) Which man... uh, Excuse me. All right, I'm laughing too hard. I can't even see. Which none of the princes of this world knew. This hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory which none of the princes of this world knew. So man does not understand the hidden wisdom of a God. I think we know that. That's what Paul is saying right here. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the 
things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit teaches, searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man? We don't really know ourselves in the outward man. What man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man, which is in him, the inward man? That's who knows. Even the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of man. So Paul is saying here, the Spirit of God within our inward man knows the things of God through the inner man because he revealed them to our inner man by his Spirit. That's how we know. And the inward man also includes the seat of our feelings, our emotions and desires. King David and Paul not only knew and willed to do the law of God, but they delighted in this will of God that they knew from the law of Moses. And they read the law of Moses and said, that's who I want to be. I delight in that. It's who they wanted to be. Some 1, 2, and Romans 7, 22. So, continuing with Paul's declarations. Notice how clearly Paul distinguishes what the inner man knows as compared to what the outer man knows. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Hmm. What I'm telling you, Paul says, I got from God. I got that from God. I didn't get that from any book learning anywhere. God told me this. And that's how you'll know too. You ever hear something that you didn't understand but you thought something was wrong with it? Not here, but in another church. I guess so. I have at other places. On a radio, you wait a minute, that doesn't sound. The spirit of man that searches truth from the Holy Spirit of God speaks to me and says, that ain't right. No, that's not right. But I don't understand what, you don't have to. It's not right. I think that's what's going on in me. Is that what's going on in you when you hear that? But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. The man who doesn't know God does not receive the things that are the Spirit of God. 
we may say something that is the spirit of comes from the spirit of God, and they look at you like what? <laughs> they don't understand it because a natural man does not understand the things of the spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him; neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Hmm, sounds like the hidden wisdom. A hidden wisdom we were talking about earlier. That's what that sounds like to me. But he that is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. Hmm. Oh, they can judge my outer man. I can't judge my inner man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Who knows the mind of the Lord? The outward man? No. We only know what God tells us and wants us to know. We don't know what he knows, is what Paul is saying. Well, what do you think? Do you have a little more appreciation for the inward man and the outward man? I hope so. That's what appreciation is what I was aiming for today. And there is, uh, nobody got burned, right? Appreciation. And, and, and really an understanding. And it, since since really trying to understand this inward man and outward man as thoroughly as, as it's being told to us. And there it is right there. Verses that we've gone through. Other verses are going to be coming more and more clear. Because you see them in that light is what I'm believing for. Because of the appreciation that you have for the inner man and the outward man. So this last thing that we're going to do is like a benediction. And part of it has been read before. But think of it like a benediction on this class. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father. This is Ephesians three fourteen through 19. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ with Pat's knowledge that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. I pray that over all of you today that all of that would be the story of your spiritual life for now and from now on. Thank you.
Any comments? Tammy's here if there's any questions. Any comments? Okay. The inner man and the outward man. Thank you very much, everyone.